want to introduce our next speaker. He is a biochemical pharmacologist and CEO of the Australasian Research Institute. His clinical research seeks to identify how lifestyle and environment, such as emotional stress and diet and exercise, produces change in the body's biochemistry that lead toward either health or disease. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Dr. Ross Grant. Good morning again, everybody. And it is a privilege to be here. I'm told that when uh, it looks as if I can't see because the lights are in my eyes, I'm in exactly the right spot. So I guess that must be where I am. What a beautiful spot. Now, it's kind of unfortunate to myself, and I feel a little bit nervous for a couple of reasons. One is that being in Toowoomba here, it's almost hard to believe that you guys would have any problem with lifestyle, and particularly as to production of disease. I mean, it's just an absolutely beautiful place. I was born in Brisbane, so I still like to watch the state of origin. Um, unlike uh, I did all my study in New South Wales, and it's interesting uh, how much we still hang on to uh, our roots. But uh, what a beautiful place it is. And uh, one of the things that also makes me a little bit nervous is that uh, I haven't seen my chemistry teacher from high school since, uh, well, now for over 30 years, and he's sitting in the audience. So thank you, Mr. Searle, I'll see how well I go. Now, in Gary's talk, he said to you that there was three things that people, particularly people that have got uh, some money, want to get. One is they want to know what the future is so that they can actually get a little bit more money and hopefully they can uh, make things better for themselves. One of the other things, and of course, that's right, they wanted to be lucky in love. The other thing that I think that they really want to get is that they want to extend their life because there's nothing worse than having all of this money and then ultimately finding that you're going to have to leave it all behind. So this question that I'm going to talk about this morning, can we live forever? And then I'll talk about secrets of longevity. And it's interesting here, the answer is a definite maybe. And you may have to wait till the end to get all of the answers to that one. But can we live forever? It's a really important question. And there's certainly a lot of people that are out there peddling all sorts of things, even from a research uh, angle, and I could tell you stories about some colleagues of mine who are, um, well, there's a certain area of research that we actually do know a little bit about in terms of keeping the body alive for a bit longer, and there are certain molecules that potentially can help with that, but they're out marketing them as if it's going to keep you living forever, and I can tell you, well, I'll tell you as we go along, maybe it will keep you alive, let's have a look. So if we look at life expectancy, most of us know from around about 1900 through to where we are now, is that we have had a significant increase in our life expectancy. Average age now is getting up around about 80 years for men, 84 uh, years for women, and Australia is one of the highest living populations on Earth. That's terrific. Is it going to continue? There was a recent paper that came out, and this was from uh, one of the uh, journals Nature, and it's showing actually the longest-lived person was actually this one here by the name of Jean Clement. She died in 1997. And she lived for 122 years, so that is as long as we have got definite proof or established evidence for somebody living. And she's way up here. Now, some people have looked at this and said, well, it looks like after this period of time, actually, we're not living as long. And in fact, a whole article came out saying that we're actually getting shorter in terms of our life. But other people argue, no, no, that's probably just an aberration. We're not really getting shorter. In fact, it may continue to go and we'll continue getting living longer and longer. What I want to try and do with you this morning is give you some understanding about some of the backgrounds, about how to think about life, how to think about 
how the body works and how ultimately we can actually preserve our health, but also potentially our longevity. So that when we look at these sort of things, we can evaluate them. Gary was suggesting that you sell everything you've got and give him a certain amount of money so that you can uh, uh, buy some shares. Other people are suggesting that you can do the same thing and buy some uh, elixir of life and get yourself to live forever. The question is, would that be sensible? And hopefully I'll give you a little bit of tools this morning for us to be able to look at this. There's some enthusiasm, a lot of enthusiasm around this, in fact. And this is from uh, some of the reju uh, researchers, Rejuvenation Research published, uh, published, if information and the technologies continue to improve exponentially, a scientific revolution will indeed occur. We may then be able to rewrite and upgrade the software of life to avoid death. Well, that sounds pretty hopeful. That sounds great. Maybe it's going to work. Then we've got this one, Aubrey de Grey. He actually, uh, in fact, he got his money actually from his mum who was rich and he's now set up, he's a scientist himself, but he's set up a research institute called the SENS Foundation, which literally is looking at trying to make us live forever. And he's very enthusiastic. He says, get the word out, educate people that curing ageing is not science fiction. I might argue with that. It's science foreseeable. It's going to happen and the sooner it happens, the better. Getting that word out is really what it's all about. So certainly a lot of excitement out there. I like Groucho's Marx comments. He says, I intend to live forever or die trying. <laughs> well, that's not a bad way to look at things. And unfortunately, Groucho Marx did die in 1977. But what sort of evidence do we have? What actually is ageing to begin with? And that's a good question to ask. What actually happens when we age? What is ageing? Is it actually a thing? Now, if we have a look at what's happening, and now I'm showing you here what is pretty obvious to all of us, as we get older, our skin tends to not look quite as plump, doesn't quite hold up quite as well. Uh, men, we think it gives us more character. But it doesn't actually do quite the same as what it did when we were much younger. The question is, now this is the, the largest organ of the body, and so the question is, what's actually happening with it? What's actually producing those changes? Interestingly, the skin actually survives, or at least we have new skin, about every two to four weeks. So about every month, our skin is completely renewed. So as I tell people, if you want to have good skin in, in a month's time, make sure you work on what you're doing now. But why is the skin not looking the same for a young person as it does for an old person? And if I were to ask you the question, and it's hard from an audience like this, but if I were to ask you the question, and I've done this with audience, tell me how you could age the skin faster. And immediately people will say, what do we do? Go out into the sun. And then if I say, well, if you wanted to age your liver faster, what would you do? Well, we could drink some alcohol. And in fact, you can damage both of those by smoking as well. And there's a bunch of other things that you can do that can age, actually age it faster. So we know we can age it faster. How could we reduce some of that ageing? Is it possible for us to do that? And is it possible for us then to be able to maybe extend that, extrapolate to actually live forever? Now, it's an interesting thing. If I have a look at, uh, at the body and we have a look at the skin and we say, well, OK, it's ageing, what's actually causing it to age? Well, we've said that the sun does that. Now, the sun does two things on your skin. The sun actually not only damages the DNA, you remember the bits in the middle of the, uh, the cell? You remember the nucleus of a cell? And the DNA is what? That's got all of the instructions in the cell, doesn't it? If we damage those, then maybe the next generation of cells isn't going to be good, as good as the previous. Does that make sense? If I was, and we told you that the skin cells turn over about every two to eight weeks, what if I'm turning over the cells within my gut? My gut turns over about every four, uh, every four days. I've got new skin, or uh, at least new cells in my gut. 
If I'm turning over my blood cells, that's around about for my red cells, particularly about every 120 days, about every four months. And we can go cheek cells, around about seven days. You'll be pleased to know that your fat cells last around about eight to nine years. <laughs> Sorry about that. But let's face it, you can actually stop feeding them. And, uh, you know, that may help a number of things as well. But the point is that we're turning our cells over. So really, from one generation, as we're producing new cells, so about every 10 years, you've actually got completely new cells. Now, there are some long-lived cells within the central nervous system, but we'll leave that aside. About every 10 years, you're virtually a new person. Do you look the same today as what you did 10 years ago? Now, I like to tell people only two people look the same. One is my mum, the other is my wife. But for the rest of us, we all look a little bit different. So the question is, what's happening? If we, from one generation of cells, when they're making the next generation of cells, when the body's making the next generation of cells, if we make exactly the same, will they look the same? You would. If you were getting the one generation of the cells and the next generation were exactly the same, you would look exactly the same. But there's something that's happening within the cells that's actually causing them to degenerate. What actually is that? Let's have a look. So why do we age? We start off, we know we've got bodies. And within those bodies, we know that that's made up of organs. Underneath the organs is tissues. Then we've got cells. And of course, in that cell, there's the DNA sitting in the middle. Now, if we have a look at that DNA, you can damage that DNA. We've seen that when we actually get sun damage. Has anybody here, and I'm talking to Queenslanders, has anybody here peeled? You get into the sun and you end up getting that all coming off. You've damaged the DNA so much that the cells themselves have actually died. They've actually done a little self-suicide and they haven't been able to repair themselves. Now, if from one generation to the next, you actually accumulate a little bit of damage within the DNA, it carries on to the next generation, doesn't it? And as you carry that on to the next generation, that next generation of tissue that it's making up, whether it's skin, heart, liver, lung, etc., that next generation isn't going to look quite as good as the previous generation. Does that make sense? Okay. So, if we're going to stop our aging process, we've got to be able to somehow stop that DNA damage. So it's an accumulation of cell debris in the cells as well as direct damage to the cells. These can actually cause the damage that, produces, uh, that prevents our cells from actually producing themselves in exactly the same way as they would have done when we were younger. So what's damaging that DNA? Well, we all know about these things called free radicals. Now, free radicals are bad. There's another term for it. If we say free radicals are doing damage to a cell, we call it oxidative stress. Everybody knows about psychological stress. Well, this is oxidative stress, and in fact, psychological stress gets turned into oxidative stress. And it's free radical damage that accumulates in the cell. If you produce, or at least if you have too much energy coming into the body, in other words, you're eating too many calories, you'll produce lots of free radicals. If you take on toxins that come in, and we all know about pesticides and things like that, if you switch on the immune system, now we all know we need the immune system for some things, but if we keep the immune system switched on, it actually, it's like having an army. And the army's there shooting away, getting rid of all of the invaders, but have they damaged the, uh, the city themselves? They have. And that's the same with your immune system. You don't want it switched on. It does lots of damage. And then when you've got all of that damage, if you don't remove it, the same way as if you don't remove the rubbish from your house every week, give it a little while and your house will start to stink and it'll start to sort of be a pretty unpleasant place to live in. Well, that's the same sort of thing with cells that, you know, you've got the damage in the cell, but you can't get rid of it. You need to be able to get rid of that. And that's an important part of the aging process. 
Now, the great thing is that, uh, well, not quite yet. The other things we talked about the sun, we've got things like x-rays. You know, you don't want to go along and have an x-ray every week. There's reasons why that's not good for you. There's even some quite toxic elements that could come even, even through things like, you know, the headache tablets, things like paracetamol. They can actually produce quite a toxic intermediate that can, in fact, do a lot of damage to the liver if you take too much. And then, of course, I talked about pesticides. Now, fortunately, we have in the body things like antioxidants. Now, I'm just setting you up so that you can understand where we sort of, how the damage is coming in and how we might be able to protect it later on. So antioxidants in the body, the body has a number of them themselves, but you can actually eat antioxidants. In fact, you can also eat things that do a lot of damage to the body, things that cause free radicals. So if we have a look, there's another thing that people talk about. Now, it's interesting that this particular one called telomeres, these are actually sitting at the end of our, you know, those long bits of DNA, we want to look after them. They're arranged into things called chromosomes. Now, there's no test on this, you don't have to remember it, but just letting you know, and people, when they're talking about ageing research, they'll talk about telomeres. We don't want our telomeres to get short, because if they get short, our cells stop dividing. And unfortunately, then, the cells aren't available then for us to, unfortunately, we'll pass away. But, uh, so we want to keep our telomeres long. Now, it was an Australian researcher that actually came up with uh, and, and was looking at the telomeres a number of years ago, got a Nobel Prize for it. But they sit on the end of our, our DNA, on the end of these chromosomes, and unfortunately, well, fortunately, they protect the chromosomes, they protect the parts that we want to sort of get the instructions from, but if we damage them by free radicals, they'll get shorter and shorter and shorter and unfortunately aren't protective, and eventually the cell can't divide anymore and it will die. So increased free radical attack, this oxidative stress, shortens telomeres. So you really don't want free radicals coming into the body. They're, that, they're negative things. So when telomeres get too short, the cell stops dividing, and unfortunately, that's that ageing process. So a couple of key points here. Number one, free radicals, this oxidative stress, they can produce this cumulative tissue damage from one generation to the next generation of cells to the next generation of cells to major components, particularly the cell's DNA, and that increases ageing. The higher the rate of DNA damage, the faster the ageing process. Does that make sense? The more you're going to damage your DNA, and the less you repair it, the faster you will age. And you can age different tissues faster. We know we can age the skin faster, we can age the eyes faster, we can age the liver faster. But the faster, the more, the more DNA damage we have, the faster the ageing process. So, we really want to stop ageing. How do we do that? Well, prevent all the damage to the cell if we can, or perfectly repair all the damage to the cell. Now, is it possible to do those? Preventing all the damage or perfectly repair all the damage? Well, there's a bunch of things. Stem cells. You can put cells into the body. Is it possible, do you think, that you could put a stem cell that would uh, ultimately make all the different parts of the body? No, it's not. Um, for different parts, you could. Uh, you want to prevent the, yeah, protect the telomeres. Where do you do all of that? Yes, so you want to stimulate the cell repair processes. You can increase some of the biochemistry. We don't have to go into the details here. We can reduce the free radicals. Now, lifestyle fits very strongly in here and we can increase antioxidants. The thing is, you can do a lot of stuff to try and get you there, and you can get a fair way, but the trouble is, whatever the method, it must be 100% effective for you to live forever. Do you think we're ever going to come up with something that's 100% effective? No, we won't. We can't. And particularly if we've lived a certain period of time already, this is beyond our current ability, because we can't go back uh, very far. There is no credible means in science to allow humans to live indefinitely. There is none. People can talk about it, they can take your money for it, and if you want to pay for it, that's okay. 
but uh, unfortunately, there is no credible evidence for it. Now, there's a man who uh, now he changed his name to FM2030, born Feridun M. Esfandiari, but changed his name to reflect his goal of living to be 100 by the year 2030. He has also predicted that in 2030 we will be ageless and everyone will have an excellent chance to live forever. 2030, he says, is both a dream and a goal. Now, unfortunately, he died. At the age of 69, from pancreatic cancer, it is very sad, and it's sad to see people who pin their hopes on something which is unfortunately a dream, which is not、uh, not likely to be realisable. I could tell you other stories about people who are freezing themselves in different parts of themselves, and sadly we don't have time. But that truly is not something that is going to happen, and it's possible. So immortality is unlikely, but longevity is definitely possible. And not just living a long time, but living a healthy long time. Let's have a look at some of those. The oldest populations on Earth. Dan Butner came up with these,、um, sponsored through the National Geographic, and the first one was published in 2005. He's since published a book, and then he's had a recent thing come out for the Blue Zones in 2016. Now it was interesting that when he looked around the world, and、uh, he was looking at the oldest populations on Earth, and he looked at、uh, Okinawa, Japan. They seem to be the oldest. And Sardinians, these are the original ones, and then in Loma Linda, California, particularly the Seventh Day Adventists were the ones that were identified as the longest-lived populations on Earth. He's since added the、uh, Nicoya in Costa Rica and Icaria, Greece. Now it's fascinating looking at those. While this is not necessarily a scientific study, there's some really interesting things that get, that come out of it. The people in, inhabiting these blue zones share common lifestyle、uh, traits. Um, that contribute to longevity. There's psychosocial health. They have a purpose in life. They interact well with the community. They have a religious affiliation. Family put ahead of other concerns. People of all ages are socially active. They don't separate the young from the old. All ages are interacting well together. There's inter- intergenerational connection, and they all help to make time for rest. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in one of the other talks. Vegetable-rich diets, and I know Sue will talk a lot about this type of thing. Constant, moderate physical activity. It's not the marathon runners that live forever. Well, some may, but you don't have to be a marathon runner to live forever. It's that constant physical activity, keeping the body alive, keeping it working, keeping it stimulated. I'll talk about that later. And eliminate smoking. So not just long life, but healthy long life. There was up to a threefold greater level of disability in people with two or more poor lifestyle habits. Now, if they didn't have the good habits, they would have some bad ones, and we could list some of those. In other words, they sat down most of the day. They had high-calorie, nutrient-poor foods, etc. They might have smoked or drank a lot of alcohol. So these habits, if they had two or more of those, they were threefold greater chance of having some level of disability. So not only do people with poor lifestyles experience an accelerated decline toward death, but they also have greater levels of disability. Before death, risk status appeared to be greater. In fact, interestingly enough, in women、uh, than in men. So, if we have a look at what actually helps us to live a long life, how do lifestyle choices increase our longevity? And you know, these sort of things are always terrific if we were a little bit more interactive. Positive outlook. Now, I'm going to be talking more about this tomorrow. But if we have a look at positive outlook, what does a positive outlook do? If we think negatively about things all of the time, what are we doing? We're actually creating stress for ourselves. And if we create stress, one of the things that stress actually does is it actually stimulates our body to be hyperactive. So we stimulate a couple of different pathways. One of them is what we call the pituitary hypothalamic or hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. You don't have to remember that. 
but it stimulates our adrenals, we get lots of stress hormones, and as a result, our bodies are up and they're looking, feeling as if they should be doing something. But what is most of the time when we're stressed? And I can tell you, if I've driven to work and just drive to work in Sydney, I live 16 kilometres away from where I work, and it can take me an hour to get there. And sometimes more. And you can imagine the sort of stress sitting there, particularly when you've got things to do. And what am I doing? I'm stressed, but normally when you're stressed, what the body wants to do is actually do something physical. But I'm sitting in the car, and while I might feel like doing something physical, I'm not allowed to. And so by the time I get to work, I'm stressed, but what do I do then? Mostly sit in front of a computer. So our lives are actually, for most of us here in Western countries, we're actually mostly set up in a way that will actually increase our stress. So what I try and do is actually get out and do a little bit of a walk before I actually stop and do my work for the day so that I can actually decrease. And that's one of the best ways of being able to reduce some of the stress that we have, is being able to exercise, because exercise is the great way of reducing those stress hormones. In fact, it is the most effective way. Now, unfortunately, some people take other options, and that is using comfort foods. Comfort foods can actually reduce some of the stress, but unfortunately, that's the high sugar and high fat. That does a lot of other negative things. So really, I would encourage you, if you want to reduce that stress, is to actually get out and walk. But that positive outlook and carrying that in. As somebody said the other day, the reason why I have a positive outlook is because it just may come true. And the unfortunate thing is a lot of people take the opposite side, and they go, well, I've got to have this negative outlook because it just may come true. And it may not. So you may as well have the positive outlook and at least enjoy it. Second thing is nutrition, and as I said, there'll be a couple of, there'll, couple of talks on this one and you'll get a bit more evidence or at least a bit more information about that. Extremely important. We'll emphasise it a couple of times as we talk about this. Exercise, as we've talked about here, helping to reduce that stress, is really good because exercise helps to reduce those stress hormones and stimulates some really good other molecules that are there, important for the brain and the body. But nutrition is the only way that you actually get the nourishment the body needs. Nutrition gives you nourishment, exercise doesn't. You can't actually out-exercise a bad diet. Exercise. We talked about that particularly in relation to the positive outlook and reducing some of those stress hormones. You don't need a lot. We'll cover that off a little bit later on. Keeping on moving every half an hour. I'm not sure how the prophetic organisers have got this set up, but I hope that you stand up after each talk. Um, if you stand up after mine and clap, that'll make me feel very happy. Um, but no, I'm not suggesting that you do that. Now, what about this one, rest? A lot of people will try and, well, with busy lifestyles, what do you do? You're working all day, you're stressed, you're not going to sleep so well, and then, of course, you don't have such a good sleep, but you've got to get up at the, you know, in the morning for the next busy round of things. And what do most people do to keep themselves awake or get themselves started in the day? It'll be caffeine, and it's interesting, I have got a lot of comments from people from the audience. And a lot of people, now, is caffeine a substitute for, for sleep? It's not. Sleep has really important functions. We'll look at that again tomorrow. But just as a little heads up on some of this, rest is something that the body needs because it's in this, you've heard of biorhythms. Now, it's interesting for, you know, uh, for a group of the population, they've known about biorhythms for some time. 
Uh, I can tell you from, from, the, uh, uh, from uh, the more medical research science side, uh, it's taken us a little while to sort of nut more of this out and to come into, uh, into line with the fact that this is extremely important. It's extremely important, in fact, we've got a lot of great data around what's actually happening when you are resting and sleeping in a number of different organs. You know, we're like, a, we're like an extremely complex factory. It's not about just, uh, you know, getting in and powering on. It's about starting something, getting it up, running, and then later in the day, the biochemistry shifts by about three o'clock in the afternoon, it's getting you ready for bed. So that hopefully you're in bed by 10, and then up again at six. There's some really important things there, and unfortunately, caffeine doesn't do anything like that. There's no nourishment in caffeine at all. It just, it's the same almost as putting your hand over the light when the light says empty on the dashboard, and it's saying, go and fill up. Well, caffeine is like putting your hand over it and going, no, I'm okay. And of course, you are going to pay for that. In a car, of course, you'll pay for it, but also, uh, in the human body, you will as well. So rest is extremely important, something to keep in mind. If we do all of this, and there's more besides, we've got to shorten some of this and you'll get more information, but we will have the best chance of having health. We're looking after our bodies. Yes, we've got genetic backgrounds, but we'll, we'll get a sense of, uh, we'll, we'll have the best opportunity for generating health and therefore living a long time. There is another alternative, and it's entirely your choice making a few different choices, and we're not about telling you what to do. Certainly, I'm not. And uh, we're, we're about telling you about what actually is possible, what's going on in the body, and whether you want to or not, or like it or not, it doesn't make any difference. The fact is these things happen, and then it's your choice whether you accept it or not. I look forward to talking to you again, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Uh, hey, Ross, you better come out here and see this. It's very nice. You may be seated. We've, we're going to ask uh, Ross a couple of questions. We're running ahead of time. So come on out, Ross. Um, well, thank you they gave you a standing ovation. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. No, I set them up for that. One. Well, that's <laughs> impressive. Um, thank you very much. Just a couple of questions. Actually, several questions have come in. So I'm going to pick and choose here. We've, only, we've got five minutes. Uh, what would you recommend for shift workers in regards to rest and avoiding caffeine? Yeah, absolutely. And I get asked this question a fair bit. And of course, working in a hospital environment, it's a really good question. Shift workers, if you're on permanent shift work, you can actually shift your biorhythms by making sure that you, you know, when you get home, in fact, you put sunglasses on so you don't see the sun as it's coming up if you're driving home as, it's, as, as you're coming home. Pop sunglasses on, hopefully you won't crash. Um, that's only if the sun's coming up. If it's not coming up, don't, don't put them on. Um, I'll let you work that out. Um, but yes, you don't want to get the stimulation, particularly of that early morning sun, which does stimulate certain parts of the brain which wakes you up again. Uh, and then when you get home, you would have, go into a darkened room and make sure that, uh, you know, as far as possible, the sounds are, are uh, you know, not, you're not distracted by them, so that you can get yourself into that biorhythm and then you can wake up appropriately, hopefully seven to eight hours later and then carry on with the rest of the day. So if you're a permanent shift worker, it's much easier. If you're somebody who is, uh, you know, as most people in, in, uh, in different types of working environments, if they are doing 24 hours, they do have to get into, sometimes you're on 10 days uh, of, of one type and then you're a week of another type. And uh, you still need to try and do the same thing, uh, but it usually takes about three or four days to get into it. The worst thing you can do is to do caffeine 
Uh, we've just actually published a study just this last week, accepted where it actually, because we were looking at some of this and things that cause oxidative stress, and caffeine is actually one of the ones that came out as our top seven. We were surprised. We didn't expect to see that. Uh, and I think that it's a lot of the oxidation and it's driving the body in the wrong kind of way. But yes, I know people need to stay awake. The best thing you can do is try and eat regular meals during your night shift. Now that's not eating all the time, but the regular meals, and drink lots of water. And if you can do it, do some healthy juices. It is actually there's good reasons why that's actually good for you. There's a lot of polyphenols and various other flavonoids that are in there that actually help to reduce some of that uh, uh, oxidative stress which you'll be generating during that. Uh, more detail I can give individuals if they That's want great. to ask me. Here's another question. Uh, what do you mean by having the immune system switched off? Can you explain further, please? Yeah, so the immune system is always there to survey the body, and it's, it's functional all the time. And you know we have you know, one part of the immune system that produces antibodies, and we've got another part of the immune system, you know, the cellular immune system, where we have macrophages doing all sorts of things. And it's very complicated as to how it sort of interacts with every cell in the body and sort of hopefully identifies the bad things. But the immune system switched on for two reasons. One is it wants to fight invaders. The second thing is it wants to clear away debris. Now, that's good, but it's the same sort of thing as I said, as if you've got an army coming in to clear away, let's just say we've had a cyclone somewhere, and so the army comes in to help clear away all of that rubbish. That's fine, but if the army and the army trucks were continuing to sort of roll around the streets after all of that is cleared away, or you kept damaging it and therefore you kept having them come in with the big machinery and the trucks and whatever, you eventually continue to keep doing damage. So you really, the immune system, like lots of other things in the body, the body's got ways of switching them on and then very quickly switching them off. It's got off switches. So you want to have both of those happening so that you're on for a short period of time, switch it off. On, switch it off. That's how the body likes to work. The trouble is that often with the way we live, we don't have very strong off switches. Now, some of you will know about omega-3. It's a little bit more time than we've got here. But these are actually very powerful off switches. And we tend to find that we have lots of things that drive our inflammatory activity because we're driving damage to the body. And that is, unfortunately, things like high sugars, high fats, um, high red meats, these type of things. It's all very significant there in the literature. And certainly alcohol, um, as I mentioned, caffeine. But uh, the off switches, things like the omega-3s, the greens, veggies, a lot of those will actually help switch it off. So you do want to be able to get those in balance, and you do need to keep them in balance. Thank you. Would you put your hands together and thank uh, Ross Grant once again? And we look forward to hearing from you again.